Let's go to prayer before we uh, dig into the Word this morning. Father, we are grateful for Your love for us. We are grateful for the privilege that You have given to us to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ, to partner with You in uh, proclaiming the, the good news there is reconciliation between God and man. Father, thank You for the opportunity to partner as well with those who are going to the ends of the earth. The mandate is to take the gospel to, uh, to all nations, to the ends of the earth. And, and while not all of us can go, we can support those who are going. So we thank You that we are able to partner with, with missionaries all throughout the world, as well as with groups like Righteous Rides, and uh, the Kirstings who are helping to support those missionaries in their endeavors. And so, Father, we ask even this morning, uh, thank you for that message from Keith in talking with with someone uh, just this past week about how uh, in even in these days of COVID, the gospel is going forth. People are coming to faith in Christ. We pray that it would happen all the more in these days of uncertainty uh, these days of fear and concern that people would, would hunger to know of the God who made us, who loves us, who sent His Son, God who came and died in our place to take away our sin. So Father, we ask that uh, indeed we would see a harvest of the gospel. In these moments as we look into Your Word, uh, we ask, Father, that You would direct our thoughts uh, that you would open our ears to listen well to your word, that we would hear, that we would understand, and that we would uh, be those who take it and put it into practice. So, Father, we ask your grace and blessing in these moments ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a heads up, in case you came in later this morning, as a brother Harley mentioned that Subject matter of today, as we come continuing here in the book of Hebrews, we're coming to chapter 13 and uh, verse 4. And the subject here in this verse, and by the way, I hope you get your Bible and open up. The subject in this verse is marriage and the married marriage bed. And so if you do have younger children in here and you're not comfortable with any questions that might come up later, uh, you might want to... I don't know, have some alternative, or if you're concerned with your spouse that maybe you can't handle this. Uh, <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Follow along as I read the verse. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Now, if, as the second verse of the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 2, if, as that verse says, God has spoken to us in these last days through His Son. If, as it continues, the, the glorious and eternal God took on flesh, became one of us, and He lived among us, and if He, Jesus, as the text goes on to say, provided purification for sins through His death, His sacrifice on the cross, 
And if he, as he goes on to say, he rose again, and now he sits in heaven and waits for the time when all of his enemies will be made his footstool. And if, as chapter 2 of Hebrews goes on to say, that because of those things, we who trust in him are receiving the salvation of our souls. And we have an eternal destiny of glory with Him. And if, as the book of Hebrews goes on to say, He now is in heaven making intercession for us, and He, that's Jesus, is our great high priest there. And if, as we saw a couple of weeks ago in chapter 12, we have a home in the heavenly Jerusalem, And we are receiving an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. If all of those things are true, and Hebrews declares they are, and we who believe the book say, yes, those are true, then it ought to radically reshape and radically change how we view life and how we live life. If all those things are true and we truly believe them, we cannot just live like ordinary people on earth. It ought to affect us dramatically. And the first six verses here of chapter 13 lay out before us three of the most significant differences that we should see in people of faith at least people of faith who are living faithfully. We we saw in chapter 11 and chapter 12, it's all about being people who live by faith. And now here in chapter 13, it's getting down to the nitty-gritty of what faithful living looks like for people of faith. And in verses 1 through 4, we saw last week that it will affect the way that we love one another. It will change our love for people. The second thing that we will see that it changes dramatically is our passions, our marriages, and our sexuality. So we're going to see today in verse 4, and next week we'll look at verses 5 and 6, which will talk about how it changes our view of money and stuff. So we're here today in verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Interesting, a strictly literal translation of that first phrase of this verse reads like this. If you just literally take the words from the Greek, it's marriage honorable in all. Those of you who are English fanatics, you will notice that there's no verb there. The verb is implied. And it's interesting because what it implies is really two things. It implies, first of all, a statement, marriage is honorable in or among all. It applies a statement of fact. That is fact. Marriage is honorable. It also states, implies a a call or a command to keep marriage honorable among all. 
And so you'll see some translations of the Bible translate that verse, marriage is honorable, a statement of fact. The King James does that. And you'll see it others, as we read here in the ESV, translate it, let marriage be held in honor among all. The second phrase of this verse works exactly the same way. The second phrase reads, as we read a moment ago, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Literally, the verse, that phrase is translated, and the bed undefiled. Again, no verb. It's implied. And, it, and it, one implication is that the marriage bed is undefiled. And that's a fact, and that's implied here. But it also implies a command, a call to keep the marriage bed undefiled. Those two implications put together really uh, give us the principal message, the principal truths of this verse. And that is that marriage and marital sex are good things, and we are to keep them that way. So with that, let's dig in a little bit more in this verse because there's much here for us this morning. Let marriage be held in honor among all. We are to hold marriage in honor. That's the call of this verse. By the way, that little word honorable literally can be translated as precious. It is often translated, most often in our Bibles, translated that way. It's precious. It's used to describe the precious blood of Christ. It is costly. It is valuable. It's saying that we are to treat marriage like a treasure, like gold, like silver, like jewelry. The reality, of course, is we live in a world where lots of marriage occurs. Marriage is still very trendy, very fashionable. To have big, fancy, flashy weddings. But while lots of marriages occur in our world and in our culture, I don't think that marriage is particularly honored in our culture and in our world. I say that because, for one thing, divorces are rampant. That dishonors marriage. There are various abuses within marriage that are commonplace. Spouses are mistreated. Spouses are neglected. Spouses are disrespected. Sometimes spouses are abused. Sometimes they are unloved. All of that, those abuses dishonor marriage. There is much infidelity in our world. Marriage vows are often broken. It dishonors marriage. Marriages and spouses are often mocked in conversation around the water cooler at work or in conversation among neighbors or friends. Marriage and spouses are often the butt of jokes in the media, on TV, in movies. All of that dishonors marriage. In our world, our culture, living together without marriage is considered normal. That dishonors marriage. Marriage in our world today is being redefined. Redefined from God's definition of a man, one man and one woman for life. And it's being redefined as homosexual marriage and 
polygamy and polyamorous marriage and all of these other things, all of that dishonors marriage. Such things are widespread through our culture today, but they're not particularly new. In fact, much of the first century Roman world to which this letter was written was really not much different than what we see today. And so the call that is here for us to hold marriage in honor and the call to, as we'll see in a bit, to sexual purity, it, is, it was just as countercultural in the first century as it is today. You see, Christians have always been called to be radically different than culture. To model ourselves after Jesus, to model ourselves after the Word of God, rather than by the culture in which we live. They are very different. Some may wonder, why should we hold marriage in honor? The answer is because of what the other implication of that phrase. Marriage is honorable. Marriage is precious. Marriage is valuable. Marriage is honorable because God created it. God established it. Genesis chapter 2. God presided over the first marriage ceremony as He established marriage and as the very first human institution. The basis, by the way, of human society. God designed man and woman for marriage, we see in Genesis chapter 2. He designed men and women to be the same and yet essentially also different. Complementary beings, the same and different, who in marriage... Genesis 2 explains, complete one another and form a bond where two become a single unit. A unit whose potential together becomes greater than the two individual people could ever be separately. A relationship that was designed by God to meet needs for companionship and meet needs for a life partner, a relationship that God designed to provide the optimal environment for raising children with the care and the love of both a father and a mother. We could go on, but the Bible lays out before us so many ways in which marriage is a valuable treasure because God designed it and established it. God has made it so. And God has declared it so. So the question comes, if marriage is honorable and we are to hold marriage in honor, how do we do that? How do we hold marriage in honor? And I thought of a number of different ways this week, a number of different biblical ways. One is we can follow God's blueprint for marriage. The marriage is for one man and one woman for life till death do us part. We are, the Bible says, for believers, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we are to marry only another believer. We are not to marry an unbeliever. We could go on, but follow what God says about marriage. 
Secondly, we can celebrate, we can rejoice and enjoy every good thing in our marriage. That's another way we can honor marriage. Another thing we can do for our marriage to honor marriage is we can invest in our marriage. We can tend to it. It needs continual attention. Do not let your marriage suffer of neglect. Someone once said, good marriages are built, but they are never finished. That's a fact. It always needs attention, just like our physical homes. You neglect it and it starts to fall apart. Another thing we can do, we can protect our marriage. From the, for one thing, we need to protect it from the termites that eat at it from within. And there are many such things as uh, attitudes of anger or actions of anger, resentment, bitterness, selfishness, all things like that that can eat at a marriage from within if we let them. We also need to protect our marriage from the enemies without, the enemies that attack from the outside. Distractions, for example, that tend to steal your time and your attention from your marriage and your family. Temptations that grab at you to try to take away your affections from your spouse. Ungodly thinking, ungodly information, ungodly attitudes that are out there in the world that are constantly bombarding us through media and entertainment and and culture and that seek to undermine our relationship. We need to protect our marriage from inside and out. And we need to learn and apply God's Word about marriage. Whether you are married or whether you're single, there's so much wisdom that we find here on the pages of Scripture about what it is to be a godly man, what it is to be a godly woman, what it is to be a godly husband, a godly wife. And we, whether we are married or single, need to be aspiring to all of those. And so that if we're single, if at any point God enables or calls you to be married, you're ready. So whether you're ten years old or a hundred, we need to be learning God's Word and applying it in our life. Well, Those are a few answers to how do we honor marriage. Those are all good. We could probably come up with many, many more. But that's really not the focus of the text. The focus of the text, when we ask how do we honor marriage, it's really in the very next phrase. You see, we are to let marriage be held in honor among all. And the next phrase is, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. The prime way that we are to honor marriage is in the purity of marital sex. We are to keep the marriage bed pure. Keep it undefiled. That word can mean pure, it can mean clean, it means unsoiled. Now again, this this phrase, like the other one we mentioned earlier, this phrase means that The marriage bed is pure. It's both a statement of fact as well as a call to action. As we recognize that the marriage bed is pure. God has declared it so. Sex within marriage is pure. It is clean. It is unsoiled. It has God's stamp of approval. 
that I approve of this within marriage. I endorse this. He created us as sexual creatures, sexual beings. And so sex was His idea. God has given marital sex to us as a gift to be enjoyed within marriage. The Bible tells us, and we don't have time this morning, but we can go through Scripture and find three reasons in the Bible why God created sex. One was simply for procreation, to make babies, to propagate the species. But there's more than that. We also find that God created sex to be something for our pleasure, something to be enjoyed. If you doubt that, go to Proverbs chapter 5. Go to Song of Solomon. You can read this pretty racy stuff. God is not prudish about sex. He created it for our enjoyment. Thirdly, though, it is also a vital part of, as we see back in Genesis chapter 2, where God says, that, speaking of marriage, the two become one flesh. Sex is a part of creating union. It is, as some have called it, the glue that cements the one flesh relationship together in marriage. And so, I like what pastor and author Ray Pritchard has written about this. He says, sex is God's idea. And if it's God's idea, then it must be good, not bad. And if sex is God's idea, then it's okay for us to talk about it, which is why we're talking about it in church. It's okay. That was my comment, not his. If it's God's idea, then it's okay for us to enjoy it. And if it's God's idea, then when we enjoy it, we are enjoying Him. And I think he's got it right. Within marriage, there is no guilt there is no shame in sex and sexuality. There is only freedom to enjoy one another and to please one another. And when we as believers enjoy God's gift of sex in marriage, we also honor the gift giver who is God. And He is pleased. See, by the way, that's how it works with gifts. Gifts are never supposed to just end with the gift. It is when the one who receives the gift enjoys the gift, they, they honor the one who is the gift giver. The one who is gift, the gift giver is always... That's my favorite part about gifts at Christmas is watching the kids and the grandkids get the stuff. And, oh, right? We love that. So does our Father. He enjoys it when we enjoy His gifts. If something is precious, if something is valuable, we protect it. We, we look out for it. We, we look to keep it unsoiled. We learned that with, kid, with, with our clothes when we were little kids. You know, when we got, if you, a girl, you got a new dress, a pretty dress, or guys, we got some, you know, a new suit or something, and you're, you know, oh, and if you took those brand new fancy clothes and you went out in the backyard and played in the mud, you got in big trouble, didn't you? And we still do. You know, guys, if we get those new clothes and we go out and we start working on the car. <laughs> and our wife is like, what are you thinking? You know, we do that, don't we? Because I, well, but if it's precious and valuable, we won't do that. That's the point. You ever had a new car? 
I've had a couple, just a couple. But it's interesting. Normally, when you pull up to the park in the parking lot at Walmart, you're looking for the closest spot to the door, right? But when you get a new car, what do you do? <laughs> you go to the farthest back corner of the lot where you can grab two spaces so that nobody gets near it. Because when something's valuable, when something is precious, we guard it. We protect it. Our sexuality is a precious gift, and this passage calls for us to protect it. And so again, the question, how do we keep the marriage bed pure? How do we protect it? And the answer to that here in this passage primarily is we keep sex within our marriage. So if you're not married, you abstain from sexual relationships until you are married. And if you are married, then you don't have sexual relationships with anyone other than your spouse. Pretty simple. We have an enemy of our souls. The Bible calls him Satan, the deceiver, the devil. Satan's mission, as we see in the pages of Scripture, his aim, his desire is to destroy what God loves and to fight against what God desires. And so it should not surprise us that Satan's strategy in this world is to promote sex outside of marriage as any way possible. Premarital sex, promiscuous sex, adulterous sex, homosexual sex, etc., etc. And at the same time, to discourage and diminish sexuality within marriage. And it doesn't take much to look around at the world around us and see that those two messages are simply rife in everything. Music, movies, literature, culture at large. Sex outside of marriage is glorified and is into everything from advertising to, you know, whatever. It's out there. Where the beauty of sexuality within marriage rarely gets a mention and in fact is usually downplayed and joked about. Satan wins out when people embrace sex outside of marriage. And they destroy marriages, they destroy relationships, they destroy families, they destroy society, they destroy themselves, and worst of all, they destroy their relationship with God. But may I say Satan wins equally? When married couples do not treasure and do not value and do not enjoy their sexual relationship within their marriage. Because what tends to follow that is a breakdown in relationship, a breakdown in intimacy, a breakdown in communication, etc. So how do we keep the marriage bed pure? Not only do we keep sex within our marriage, but we also are to enjoy and celebrate sex within our marriage. That is a clear implication of this text when it says the marriage bed is pure. It is God's endorsement here and it is calling us as believers in Jesus Christ to say, an enthusiastic yes to sex in marriage, to honor God by enjoying His gift. 
And also for us to do as 1 Corinthians 7 calls for us to do as spouses, and that is to fulfill our duty to our spouse, to not deprive them of meeting their needs. Rather, that is to be a a duty, as that text says, but one that is a joyful thing, one that is an honor to do for someone we love and care about. In all of this, we are to live, as believers, we are to live an exemplary marriage. Because in a world that is filled with people and filled with marriages and filled with families that have been broken by immorality, they desperately need to see the grace of God reflected in us, reflected in our marriages and in our homes. They should see positive examples of God's good plan in, for marriage in us. They should see it in our loving relationships that we talked about last week in verses 1 through 3 and that that shows up not only in our relationships with one another in church but our relationships at home with one another as husband and wife. They should see it in our intact families and our healthy marriages. They should see it in us as people who enjoy all of God's blessings including the physical Passions of sexual intimacy within the confines of our marriage. They should see us as people who are not prudes, but people who at the same time are people of modesty and people who, uh, who enjoy God's blessings. We're not ashamed or, or uh, embarrassed about sexuality. In fact... We are called as believers to shine out in a dark world. I like the way Philippians 2.15 puts it. That we may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That is what we are to be. That is what our marriages are to be as believers. Now, if that isn't enough to inform us about why this is important and an important message for us to see and an important thing to be put here in these three very important things, if we're going to take the life of faith and show what does it look like as we flesh it out and live as faithful people, he adds one more thing here to this verse. He says, For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. There's a warning here. That word, the sexually immoral, refers to, it's, it's the word porneia. It refers to all types of sexual immorality, whether committed before marriage or committed while married. It also, the word adulteress there is there, and it refers to, of course, a married person having sexual relations with someone other than their spouse. Between those two words, they cover everything that can be called sexual immorality. There are a host of personal and societal consequences that come when people and when society moves into sexual immorality. There's guilt. Personally, there's guilt and there's broken relationships and fractured marriages. Trust is destroyed. Families are torn apart. There are broken hearts and broken lives and spirits as people are used and abused and discarded 
There are ruined reputations. There are sexually transmitted diseases. There are unwanted children. There are abortions. There are victims who bear the scars of abuse and molestation and rape and human trafficking. And all of those things are serious consequences when a society and a culture says, we do what we want. Sexual immorality, there's really no such thing. But interesting, this passage skips over all of that and gives one reason why this is crucial. And it says, God will judge sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says something similar here, except more. It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. And it goes on. And again it says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Immorality, adultery, homosexuality, sexual sins, among others, sins are in that list as well. But they will keep people out of heaven, out of the kingdom of God. You'll find similar statements in Galatians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 5 verse 5, Revelation chapter 22 verse 15. What that says is this is serious business. These sins will keep people out of heaven. And that may cause some concern. Because some of you, some of you watching this morning, may say, what if I've committed immorality? What if I've committed adultery? And there are other sins as well in the list. So what if I've dishonored marriage? What if I've been divorced? What if I have treated my spouse badly? What if I have uh, had an abortion? What Go on down the list. And the question is, is there any hope for me? Bad news. Truly All these scriptures say the sexually immoral and adulteries will be judged by God. But there's good news. Because not all of them. There is a way out. I read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. I kind of summarize verse 10. Verse 11 reads this way. After saying that neither the sexually immoral nor the adulterer and all these other things, they will, not, they will not enter the kingdom of God, it says this, And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were cleansed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There's good news here. That may be where you've been, but it doesn't need to be where you are. And it will not define your future if. See, there's a path of escape. And that path is a cleansing. It's a being justified. It is being made right through Jesus Christ. The way forward is to put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. To turn from what you were and to turn to Jesus. 
Hebrews chapter 9, earlier in this book of Hebrews, Hebrews 9, it says this, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, again, that, that statement, everybody's going to die, the ultimate statistic, one out of one people die. This physical human life is going to come to an end, and when it does, there is a standing before God and there is judgment. And our sins have earned us hell, the Bible says, but, and here it is, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sins, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Jesus Christ came, died on the cross for sin, so that any who put their trust in Him, who trust Him as their Savior, He bears their sin. There's the good news. So what does that have to do with this? I love, I, I could not say it better than this phrase from John Piper that sums up where this leaves us. He said, We honor marriage when we live out the clean and happy future of our unclean and forgiven past. See, all of us in one way or another are unclean and have been unclean. Even as Jesus said, he who looks at at a woman with lust in his heart has committed adultery. We are all guilty of sin. What are we to do? We turn to Christ. And the ultimate way that we honor marriage is in living out the clean and pure and forgiven life. A happy future. If you're here this morning, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus. The call to you this morning is to trust Him. To turn from your sin and your past and turn to Jesus. For all the rest of us who know Him, the call for us is to live out the clean and happy future of our unclean but now forgiven life as we follow Christ. Let's pray. Father, this is a message we need to hear. The reality is we live in a messed up world and every one of us has been tainted by sin. There may be some here who have never come to faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that whether they're here or whether they're watching at home, they will understand the invitation that you give. We need to recognize I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And all we need to do is call upon You and say, Lord Jesus, I trust You. I need You as my Savior. Father, there are many here who are believers and some who are listening today have failed in this as believers. They have failed to honor their marriage or failed to keep the marriage bed pure. What are we to do? We are to come back to You and confess our sin. The Scripture says You are faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Father, for every one of us here, we are to commit ourselves now to move forward, to live out the clean and happy future that You have given us through Jesus Christ. Father, may we be faithful to do that so the world around us 
when they look at us, they will see the love and grace of Jesus Christ reflected in our love for one another, in our love for our spouse, in our, in our commitment and our purity um, with our marriage. So, Father, may that be the reality in our lives for Jesus' sake and for our good. In His name we pray. Amen.